listening to From the Friars podcast, the community of Franciscan Friars of the Renewal, headquartered in the Bronx, New York City. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Some Sadducees, those who deny that there is a resurrection, came forward and put this question to Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, if someone's brother dies, leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman, but died childless. Then the second and the third married her, and likewise all the seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Now at the resurrection, whose wife will that woman be? For all seven had been married to her. Jesus said to them, The children of this age marry and remarry, but those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they can no longer die, for they are like angels, and they are the children of God, because they are the ones who will rise. That the dead will rise, even Moses made known in the passage about the bush, when he called Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Some of the scribes said in reply, Teacher, you have answered well, and they no longer dared to ask him anything. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good afternoon and welcome. I greet you with the greeting of St. Francis. May the Lord give you peace. Amen. Amen. What a story, huh? So a little background. There were a couple of different types of groups within Judaism at the time of Christ. And you need to know a little bit about each of those groups to understand like what's happening here. So you have the Pharisees and you have the Essenes and you've got the Zealots and you've got the Sadducees. And then you have the Galilean fishermen. Okay, there are these different groups. The Sadducees, this is going to be a pun. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. It's sad, you see. <laughs> That's from my scripture professor. Okay, the, the corny joke lives on in my homily. Um, and so they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, so they didn't accept anything after, you know, the prophets, et cetera, et cetera. And they, yeah, they, it was just... a a group within Judaism, they had some unique ideas, and it was from that that they cooked up this story to try to trick Jesus, you know, because Jesus clearly taught about heaven and the resurrection of the dead and this whole thing, and then they come up with the story about this woman, she marries seven of these brothers, each one dies, with there's no children, but at the resurrection, like what you're saying, like, is she going to be married to all seven? That doesn't make sense, and the question Jesus should have said, well, what was she cooking for dinner? <laughs> it's another joke from one of my scripture professors. Okay. It was funnier back in the 90s when I was in the seminary. Okay. Um, so obviously, uh, Jesus, he, it's just amazing how he meets them where they are, but then challenges them, right? And you think of Jesus wanted to quote a passage from the Bible, from the Old Testament, that he could have given to say this is the resurrection, he chose to quote a passage that's from the first five books because these guys only accepted the first five books. So he 
he highlights a note from this story of the burning bush in the book of Exodus, the revelation of God to Moses when he reveals the divine name, Yahweh, I am. And in that book, he's often named by the patriarchs, right? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. But it makes no sense to say that if they died and no longer exist, which is what the the Sadducees believed. So even that God, because he's the God of the living, would be named the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is evidence that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. Um, For us, it'd be like, okay, you know, but for the Sadducees, it would have been a big like, oh, whoa, you know. Um, So score a point for Jesus, okay? (laughs) Um, But how can this speak to us today? Um, Now, this is going to be interesting. It's going to be a touch of controversy, but it's good to wake us up, huh? So the first reading, we're hearing the story of an interesting era, the Maccabean era, about 160 years before Christ. And here's what had happened. This guy, Antiochus, had conquered Jerusalem in 167 BC, and he had transformed the Jewish temple into a pagan temple, and they'd offered the sacrifice of a pig to Zeus. This is what the prophet Ezekiel had called the abomination of desolation. And it's an interesting thing that um, the demonic always seeks to defile and mock all that is good and holy, so that this guy would do that. Why would he want to go, you know, to the holiest place possible for the Jewish people? The the temple and the altar is the holiest place possible that he would want to go and do an act of defilement there. I'm sure in his mind, it was his way of saying, our gods are stronger than your God. Our gods conquer your God, right? We conquered your city. Now we're conquering, we're conquering your religion as well. Um, and then we know a couple of years later, he, he gets killed and the Maccabeans retake the temple. And that was actually yesterday's reading. And they purify and rededicate the temple. That's Hanukkah. Um, but something similar happens, huh? You think of um, the crucifixion of Jesus, you know, the, the God-man, you know, that the devil would inspire them to try to put the author of life to death. And um, but so it goes all along. huh? You'll see um, you discern the presence of the demonic. I don't mean to scare anybody. It's a bit of an intense topic, but these things are real. There's always an effort to defile or mock things that are good and holy and things that are of God. You know, um, you see people, you know, disrespecting the Blessed Sacrament. Uh, Some of these Eucharistic miracles that have happened because somebody wanted to do some sort of a witchcraft spell with the host, you know, and and so there's always even the Black Mass. Evidently, there's like they take some of our Catholic prayers, but say them backwards. It's this kind of strange thing. In theology, they say that the devil is an ape, meaning that he never really comes up with his own thing, but he likes to just try to mock what God does. And uh, so here's where the, you ready for things to get a little controversial. What does that look like in our day? Here's my proposal. One of the last things that Sister Lucia of Fatima wrote, she wrote a letter to a cardinal in Rome, Cardinal Cafarlo, and she told him in this letter that the final battle between Satan and God will be over marriage and the family. And that anybody who works to defend the sanctity and dignity of marriage and the family will be opposed. But don't worry, because Our Lady already crushed the devil's head. <laughs> so that's Sister Lucia Fatima. But my friends, as Catholics, we have received such a beautiful teaching 
um, from our Lord about the dignity of marriage and family and everything that goes with that, including the dignity of our humanity, our bodies, and our sexuality. And so we discern the presence of the demonic in our day where these precious truths are being mocked and defiled with all these alternative ideas. huh? And yet, so our call is... Um, our call is to witness to what is true. And I, um, I want to draw an analogy from a recent failure of the church, and I want to apply it to what might be the abomination of desolation that's happening in our day. And it's this. Um, if you talk to older people who are involved with the pro-life movement, and they talk about the era of the early 70s when abortion was being legalized in our country, you had the, the infamous Roe v. Wade and all of that. And the failure of the church was, was this. You know, the church at that time was really good at pointing out what was wrong, right? To have sex outside of marriage is wrong. But then the church wasn't so good at like helping people who found themselves in a crisis situation. And there was such like a taboo against like um, unwanted pregnancies, right? People would run off and hide in a nunnery for a while, whatever. There's all these stories. And um, some of the early pro-life leaders talked about how the church could have or should have done better at offering help to people, you know, and and out of that came what we now see is the beautiful pro-life clinics. You think of like life choices over in Peaberg and, you know, that the church, you know, on the one hand, we have to diagnose what's wrong, but it's not enough to just do that. But we also need to be there with medicine and with mercy and with, with the, the pastoral help for people who are struggling. So um, I wonder if that we're hitting that moment again with marriage and family, certainly we need to diagnose what's wrong. We need to be clear about what's true, what God has revealed about marriage, about family, about the gift of sexuality, all of that. But also we need to be ready to not just correct and call out what's wrong, but also have that medicine of mercy to help people who struggle which is like all of us, you know, everybody, you know, to not only know what's right and wrong, but also to to have um, ministries and pastoral help for um, for people who find it difficult to live the truth, but who want to try. I really believe that. That's what God is asking of us: is that we try. You know, uh, Jesus fell three times when he carried the cross, and that's to encourage us as we carry our crosses. There's going to be falls, but you know, we don't focus on the fall; we focus on the the getting back up and the the beautiful um, Catholic approach of mercy and forgiveness and that maybe we're not perfect yet, but we're on our way. Huh? We're on our way. And so now apply that to this topic of marriage and the family and, and that, you know, as the world gets darker and more confused and all these alternative ideas are being spread, you know, far and wide, people nowadays need our witness more than ever before. So today's, um, we got a few saints today, and one of the saints that aren't so known is the very first married couple who ever beatified together. We have their image down on the saint of the day table over there. Blessed Luigi and Maria Beltrame Quadrochi, the Italian couple from uh, the 1900s, and they are blessed, and their, uh, Pope John Paul had held them up as an example of marriage and family. 
And so um, it used to be that they would only canonize like priests and nuns and hermits, right? But so more and more people from other walks of life, especially marriage and family, are now being raised up as blesseds and saints. So um, if you get a chance to look them up and read about their story, it is amazing. They had so many struggles in, in their letters and in their writings. They found, you know, so many things difficult, but yet they offered this tremendous example. The husband was not so devout in the beginning. The wife's example helped him. That happens a lot, huh? You know, uh, all the ladies are smiling right now. Um, they, they had four children. Uh, two of their sons became priests and monks. One daughter became a Benedictine nun. And then the, the last daughter, um, they told her to have an abortion because she was having medical problems. And they chose not to. And they had this little girl. And then she goes on to get married. She is a venerable. So it's going to be like St. Therese. Like the whole family is going to be canonized eventually. And it's just on time, huh? If you read the beatification homily that John Paul II gave for them, you know, he, he highlights the, the example of this married couple and how important it is in our own day that we need these examples, um, not to just hear what's true about marriage and family and sexuality, but to see examples of it lived out, especially examples from people who found it hard. If you read their writings, they didn't find it easy. And um, I think it's important that the church didn't hide that aspect of their story. There were difficulties and struggles and there were fears and there, and yet again and again and again, they brought it to prayer and they ended up being helping other married couples. They did a lot of ministry in Italy, helping other people. And so I just feel really inspired by that. And also that I share that with us today, hopefully it would inspire each one of us, my friends, each one of us, regardless of our state in life, like I'm not married but God is calling us, you know, to witness to the truth, joyfully witness to the truth, and do what we can to help our brothers and sisters to um, pursue uh, living the truth, no matter what the difficulties. Amen. You've been listening to From the Friars podcast, the community of Franciscan Friars, The Renewal. Please visit us at franciscanfriars.com or on social media, CFR underscore Franciscans. Thank you.